Support for the show comes from Atlassian. With a new story about AI coming out seemingly every day, it can be hard to know what it all means for you and your job. Atlassian thinks there's a lot to be excited about in the AI-powered future. Even right now, Atlassian's AI-powered software can help you boost productivity by eliminating menial tasks, generating insights, and helping you find information about projects, policies, and processes. No matter if you're a team of two or two million, or if you're around the corner or on another continent, Atlassian software keeps everyone connected and moving together as one towards shared goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. So I'm on the flight back from Tokyo to London, which is about a 73-hour flight. Yeah, 73. And and I'm working on my book because I heard you're finished, which really upsets me. Okay. And I decided, okay, I'm going to take a break. Weeks ago. Weeks ago. I'm going to take a break from my 15 minutes of working on the book. Mm -hmm. And I pull up the TV. And who do I see? I'm literally, I thought I was hallucinating. I had taken a Lunesta, had a couple of Jackson, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm now seeing, I'm hallucinating by Kara Swisher. You were on the BBC. The Beep, yeah. Oh my God, it was hilarious. They would play 30 seconds of their interview with Elon Musk, and then it'd be like, Kara, what do you think? It'd be like, yeah, he's a fucking idiot. This makes no sense. <laughs> you were very good, by the way. I thought Thank that you. was, yeah. you know, most of your work I find pretty mediocre, but this was. Uh-huh. <laughs> this was Mediocre Plus, the new streaming platform from Kara Swisher. I'm, yes, thank you. You were thank very you. good. I was really impressed. Thank you. I, you know, I thought it was BBC Radio. That's why I was wearing a sweatshirt. I just did. I, you well, were I just so it. over it. You're like, whatever. He burnt his hand and called himself a hero. You li- you had all of these like... Arsonist. He's an arsonist is telling us. Yeah, you had all of these He's Brian Williams like adages. Yeah. You're like, well, you know, uh, uh, a moose can't drive a convertible. You know, and you're like, what? <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, well, it kind of makes sense. They ask me a lot. I like the you BBC. Very They're smart. Good. They're very smart. I did a Canadian one too, which you may then your next flight find. Um, because I have to go up to Toronto and then in this I was with the CBC and they're so good at interviewing. They're just really solid. They're not screamy. I'll it's tell you, really you literally that guy must hate you because anything he said, they'd stop and they'd go to you and I'm like, this is why that was a really fucking stupid thing to say. You literally <laughs> you tore him limb from limb. It was a terrible interview. Come on. Uh, I, I agree. mean, I expect that from Tucker Carlson and tonight. He stuck his chin out. I I couldn't he believe did. that guy didn't push oh, back. He didn't on have more. any like he didn't just pushback. He didn't have any like when he said, give me an example. That's what that's what teenage boys do when you're like, your room is a mess. Give me a specific example. Well, when you were rude to me, give me a specific example. You know what I mean? Like, you're just an asshole. I, I wanted, I was screaming at the interview because he said, well, you've laid off all these people. I was like, okay, you're four months from bankruptcy. What do you do? And I was like, boss, 
They weren't four months from they bankruptcy weren't. until they you weren't. took over. That's correct. They were financially solvent and on solid That's ground correct. until That's you correct. took over. He just made a crisis. And, he loves a crisis, that man. And alienated so. 70% of your advertisers yeah, and created a financial crisis. I agree. I agree. Well, Anyways, well done. What, what did you do this weekend, Kara? I went to a funeral and a birthday party. My son turned well, 18. Well, tell me about Alex. the funeral. <laughs> I will. Well, it was interesting. Is my aunt died. It's the last of oh, my brother's sister. I remember you that, she was months that. ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they did a memorial service, and I drove Lucky out to Morgantown. Me and Lucky took a road trip to Morgantown, West Virginia, hmm. um, where my dad is from. And I took her to the, the my my dad's buried there, and we I took her to um, the cemetery. And then there was a memorial service at this. I I, I don't know what her. She was very Christian. She was mm -hmm. quite. Christian. So it was a lot of Jesus during the ceremony, which mm -hmm. was actually, it was lovely. The kids are, they're her kids. She has four kids are just, one is more terrific than the other. And, um, <laughs> but uh, they're really great kids. And they, but it was a lot of Jesus everywhere, I have to say. There's, she was very religious. That's fine. As long fine. as they gave her comfort, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The preacher was like the guy who was, and he was real. he was a sort of a preacher type character because mm -hmm. they kept doing the Jesus thing, even when they were Every, everywhere you go, you move like a block and they're like, now let's thank Jesus and our Savior and stuff like that, which I really, I do respect. And it's some, this guy goes, oh, I guess you're not too religious. I said, actually, I'm Catholic, although I'm not a practicing Catholic. And he goes, well, you probably don't like all this praying. And I said, you know what? I love your praying, but it's it's getting a little much, I got to say. Mm -hmm. gotta say. It was nice. It was really nice to 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 celebrate her life. She was an incredibly kind and good person, and and uh, her husband is still living, and he's terrific. And it was nice to go back. I used to spend summers there um, when I was a kid. So that's nice. nice. Well, you know, Jesus drove a Honda, but he never spoke of it. <laughs> uh, he used to say, "For I speak not of my own accord." Oh little, yeah, little oh. dad humor to lighten nice. up the lighten up the Nice, mood. you have oh you know a little bit of a uh, 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 biblical, and it was it was nice to be with my mom driving hours and hours to West Virginia. That was that was like a road trip. All we almost I'll lost remember. another relative on the way yes, down. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You sit down here, Mom, and yeah. I'll just leave you by the side of the road. No, um, it was my roots. My roots, as they say there. My roots. It's my oh, roots. I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, thank you. Um, anyway, and Alex turned 18, which was nice. We took him for crabs. We took him to, oh, to Alex, crabs. Well, that's funny. I got crabs on my 18th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. I see that you're In Tijuana, actually. You're not making crab yeah, jokes about my 18-year-old son. Anyway. Go. Uh, I think you. Thank you for speaking to him uh, uh, about college. Scott was very kind to talk to Alex because he's gotten to a couple places and give him good advice. And he he keeps saying the word optionality to me now because I feel like it was really. <laughs> is that correct? Well, that was easy. Most he's saying optionality like all day yesterday. Optionality, mom, and I'm like, where did you come up with that crazy phrase? Yeah, but literally, this is like this is a conversation like, well, I don't know if I should go to this world class university or this world class university, and I'm like, hmm, yeah. This is a tough one. Most of the kids I speak yeah. to are like, you know, at some point I want to go, got to be honest, boss, I think you're a little bit fucked in this economy, but your kid yeah. is uh, definitely yeah. an yeah. overachieving. Anyway, you've DNA. had a great impact on him because he's talking like well, Scott Gow. He loves you. He listens to Prof G That's and nice. not Thank you. Pivot. <laughs> he just listens to Prof G and not Pivot. Anyway, he's a big fan of yours and you had a great impact because he that. went with I your selection. I think oh, he's good. gone with your selection. Yeah, oh, really? I think so. Oh, yeah. excited. Mm -hmm. That's I great. Know. I think it's going to be a great move for him. I see that you're back on Twitter. What happened? Uh, well, I got back on after two and a half weeks, and I don't know. I can't figure out if it was a conspiracy or just a conspiracy of dunces. I think it was the yeah. latter. I don't think it was yeah. anything. 
Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm back on. Yeah. I'm and? back on Twitter. And uh, did you miss me? How were the two weeks I listened? Did you enjoy the shows while I was gone? Yes, I did. Yeah. I had uh, Alyssa Farah, who was great. Uh, She's who the is View, on the, the View. conservative on the View, She's right? She's the conservative on the View. She was yeah. terrific. She was great, actually. And then uh, Olivia Nuzzi, who was from New York Magazine. She had written a big Stormy yep. Daniels piece that yep. week, so it was perfect. Yep. And she very political-oriented shows, but there's a lot of politics because of the indictment yeah. and stuff like that. But, uh, and I'm glad you're back on Twitter. We, we're going to do it. We're going to do a live. Well, by the way, I listen to all your shows, and I think you perfectly encapsulated what it means to be a progressive now, a bunch of white women yelling at each other about what should offend us versus what affects us. But no, I really no, enjoyed it, though. No, she didn't. Uh, <laughs> oh, my said, She likes Mike Pence. I let her go on about Mike Pence. You found she... the only woke Republican. I'm like, this woman's no. a Republican? She worked for Trump. She was at the Defense Department. Mike Pence, Mark Meadows. This woman's got her bona fides, but she she's not part of the gang anymore. Yeah, she just she just she felt like what I would refer to as a Rockefeller Republican, and that is like sane conservative values, but not mean. Yes, that's what I would say. Yeah, Yeah, I think we would part ways on abortion, all kinds of stuff. But you could at least, you know, it wouldn't be this sort of vicious struggle in the dirt as in the mud as Logan Roy, the the now late Logan Roy says. Anyway, today we're going to do a lot of things. Two notable arrests shaking up the tech community, one over the discord leaks, the other over the murder of a San Francisco tech executive, Bob Lee. And we'll speak with researcher Kate Crawford about secret ingredients of AI. Spoiler Hmm. alert, it's people. Elon Musk has biggest news following your Twitter return, Scott. In an interview with the BBC conducted on Twitter Spaces, Musk said most advertisers have returned and the platform is roughly breaking even and could be cash flow positive this quarter. He has shown no proof of this, but there you have it. In another interview, he said the government uh, can see your DMs, another thing he has no proof of, and many people say this is untrue that I've spoken to. Three <laughs> top executives from Twitter, former at very different times, wrote me, this is crap. Um, so talk about any of any and all these things. Well, you, I thought you summarized it perfect, uh, perfectly. I mean, it sincerely, I thought your uh, critique or analysis of the BBC interview, which they do real time, which must have driven him crazy, mm-hmm. was exactly exactly right. First off, you can't trust anything he says. I don't. I don't believe that most advertisers have returned to the platforms. Uh, returned to the platform. I know big advertisers who left, and I have not heard their back. Yeah. And what he basically has done is is taken a company that he paid $44 billion for and turned it into a company that's probably worth four or seven. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, again, and this is the Silicon Valley playbook, I'm going mm-hmm. to start a fire in my backyard, pick up a hose, and then call myself a hero. Right. Uh, I just, and, and the thing that just I think is hilarious is him, I think Tristan Harris and the people who signed that AI letter were really earnest and genuine about their concerns. I think where they mm-hmm. screwed up was having agreeing to have him sign it. Because mm-hmm. as he was signing this letter urging for a pause, he's buying GPUs for for uh, Twitter to start mm-hmm. ramping up AI at Twitter and is also sure. supposedly starting his own AI startup. So yeah. Yeah. what it comes right down to is anyone calling, you have to be very, you have to ask one question, is someone who ca- who's calling for a pause in AI, are they genuine mm-hmm. about the risk or... It's like we're number 50. He wants to catch up. He wants to catch up. <laughs> so, Kara, we're, we're the 52nd biggest podcast in the world. I'd like the other 51 to pause on their pods for a while. <laughs> that would be great. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's just so ridiculous that that Elon is calling for a pause as he is accelerating his own AI efforts. Yep. Everything is yep. – I mean – He's just monstrously full of shit is what it comes yeah. down to. And, and you the can't government trust... stuff, the government in your DMs. Literally, I got so well, many Well, they can subpoena from... them, but they don't They don't have open yes, access to them. Yes, that's correct. Right? But he's just claiming this on t- – it's just crazy. I don't usually get 
uh, e- e- tons of emails from Twitter executives, and they're like, this is such shit, this idea that the government... Now, listen, I'm sure the government is spying everywhere, as these new documents we'll talk about so. in a minute show. But they're not... They don't have access to your DMs unless you get subpoenaed. And if they spy... That's a different story. And he doesn't have any proof of it. And what he does, he says things without proof. And that was my issue is like proofless. Let's see the numbers then. Don't tell us it's breaking even. Let's see the actual numbers. And what's the advertising numbers? What's this? So I don't take his word for anything. I don't know about you, but um, cutting people, fine. That seems fine. Probably saved a lot of money, right? Couple, whatever. Correct. This this libertarian notion that the deep state this amorphous but evil sinister thing is coming for you. First off, the government is us. Mm-hmm. And anyone who spends any reasonable amount of time with people who are uh, work for our the most noble organization in the world, which is the US government, will see that generally speaking, the really good people who make less money than they would in the private sector because they want to do something in the service of their country. And it, 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 you know, there's some incompetence, there's some waste, there's some bad actors, but for the most part, it, this notion that's being fomented that it's the deep state are by people who want to be the deep state themselves or that don't want that don't want regulation. And if you right. look at the really bad shit that's gone down in the last few years, has it been a function of overregulation or overstepping of the government boundary? Or is it because government hasn't done anything to stop crypto from vanishing or disappearing 1.3 million people's FTX accounts? Is it that there's overreach in social media and they're reading your DMs or they haven't moved in to stop Anything resembling guardrails such that teenagers don't get images of nooses and pills and razors. It has not been government overreach that is the problem. It's been government underreach. Yeah, I just think I just don't believe any coming out of his mouth unless unless I see the actual proof. And I wouldn't even believe the proof. Honestly, it's just so it's so just he says whatever pops into his brain. And that's, you know. I think one of the things I think was factual about that interview with the BBC he said I shouldn't be tweeting after 3 a.m. That is a very good piece of advice to himself. Um, another thing, calls are growing for, speaking of government, Senator Feinstein of California uh, to resign, my longtime senator for when I was living there. The 89-year-old has missed almost 60 Senate votes and left a seat on the Senate Judiciary Committee open while at home recovering from shingles. Uh, the Judiciary Committee has only been able to confirm one judge in her absence last week. Feinstein released a statement saying she has asked Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to temporarily fill the seat until she's able to return, which is not the easiest thing in the world to do because you've got to get the it's Republicans not. to agree to it. I don't know. what do you, I mean, you talk about this issue a lot, and she refuses to step down. She refuses to step down. But Strom Thurmond didn't step down either, as you recall. Yep. And he was wrong not to. I, I think yeah. these people are public servants. And yeah. I think that at some point, their service to the country should outweigh their narcissism and their their understandable um, desire to stay in their jobs. And mm-hmm. I, I think I, I got to give it to Representative Ro Khanna. He was the first mm-hmm. to kind of take that leap, which was dangerous, and say, this is a dereliction of duty. When he's I a said, California representative in the House. He's, he's getting a lot of prominence recently. Who's a Democrat. Yeah. And by the yep. way, that costs him a lot. I bet of personal relationships and goodwill with people he knows. I bet people are giving him attaboys. Good for you. For well, you know out. what? It's, it's never the wrong time to be right. And he's absolutely yeah. right. Because I, I, I had questions about Senator Fetterman's ability to serve. And you correctly pointed out, or I think there was a really mm-hmm. good argument that we're in such a sensitive time with such uh, low margins uh, for Democrats. When you're talking about a woman's right to choice and protecting that, 
that a reliable blue vote is is a lot of reason to vote for somebody. And he's back, by the way. He's back in the office. I get that. I think that's a really good argument. But now in the case of Senator Feinstein, another Democrat would be appointed. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to people on her staff, this isn't something, quite frankly, that is probably going to get better. Well, there was a lot of articles about her cognitive abilities too, not just shingles. She's, a year ago, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't even. Oh, there was tons. Of, I have you know people who are very close to her, and you know, great, um, great mayor of San Francisco, great history as a senator. Some of the last years were, you know, up and down, but uh, it's really it's an interesting question of this age. We're going to have more I mean, of it. Look, we're going to have more of it. A hundred percent. No one said older. anything about Ronald Reagan. They kept it quiet. You and know, it was wrong. I don't, Agreed. I'll be honest with you. I don't think President Biden should be running again. Well, as you said. You know, it's at some point, it, there's a general trend in our society of hyper-individualism mm-hmm. where people believe uh, it, it, their individualism and their rights supersede their fidelity to the commonwealth or the greater whole. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes a certain amount of leadership and dignity uh, to say, okay, I can no longer, I've lost a step. Mm-hmm. I can no longer, well, being a senator, I mean, you've, you've spent time with these people. They do yeah. really hard work. It's really they hard. Do hard. It's very exhausting. It's very it is. mentally it and physically taxing. A hundred percent. And most, six, most normal 69-year-olds would have a difficult time doing Agreed. this. Agreed. Interestingly, Alyssa Ferris said that about Biden. She said that would be the greatest thing he could do for his country, 100%. doing George so, Washington, which was interesting. And then today I interviewed Jen Psaki for the On podcast, and she talked about it. She said he's got to prove he's got to get out. They've got to get him out with the people and prove that he's cognitively. But, but it's able not to about whether so. he's cognitive now. The mm-hmm. last time Marine One would leave the West Lawn if he's reelected, he'd be eighty-six. Yeah. And true. at the end of the day, biology is not politically incorrect, and you need an individual, if need be, can get on an Air Force One to Singapore, and be sharp in negotiating, and start talking yeah. to the commanders of the Pacific Fleet. This is a difficult. Taxing job. We do job. have a history of this with uh, Reagan. I mean, Reagan. They they had all kinds of people around. And he was ten him. years anyway, younger than that. I agree. I, but he had well, he had uh, Alzheimer's. I think. I think is that correct or something in that area? I mean, I'll um, even just to just to really piss off it. people. I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have resigned. I think she. Yeah. I think her narcissism and popularity got in the way of her making the right decisions for what ultimately would be um, yep. the right yep. thing for the nation. And well, I have some news. I'll be quitting now because I'm old. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not. I can't. I can't. I don't have the energy. Stepping down. Stepping down. Well, thank, um, listen, thank God erectile dysfunction is not is not an issue in podcasting. I'll be here for a while. <laughs> Speaking of erectile dysfunction, we have to move on from this topic. The Fox News Dominion trial was supposed to start on Monday as we record this. It went limp, but late Sunday night, the judge announced a delay until Tuesday. He has asked them to talk. The party are looking, the parties are not looking to settle. Fox is looking to settle. Um, the judge asked this to happen and avoid what was shaping up to be the libel trap of the century. The, the, the wind is all at Dominion's back here. So they have to get exactly what they want. And Fox has to really give up some stuff. Last week, the judge sanctioned Fox News for withholding evidence and mischaracterizing Rupert Murdoch's role in the company. He's king, everybody, just FYI, having worked before him. We'll see if they settle. I think they will, unless they give up everything, that they want and, you know, admit on the air and have like Tucker Carlson read it. That's the kind of thing I think Dominion would want. And Sean Hannity and especially Maria Bartiroma and Lou Do- all of them. I don't even think Lou Dobbs is still on there, but I don't think they're going to settle. And then there's another trial right after it, the Smartmatic trial. So I don't know. And then shareholder lawsuits, et cetera, et cetera. You haven't seen anyone want to settle this badly as the News Corp mm-hmm. board does. 
yep. since Elon Musk on the eve yeah. of the Delaware Chancery Court about to say, no, yeah. you've lied, and we're going to show how much you've lied in court. Indeed. Yep. And what do you know? He kept saying, let's settle, let's settle, let's settle. And on the eve, he said, okay, I'll give you exactly what you want. And Twitter just said all along, no, you're closing at the exact same right. price. Right, exactly. And Dominion, their, their lawyers, their, mm -hmm. their counter should be the following. We'll settle at $1.6 billion. And apologies. <laughs> they want public because apologies. Even yeah. though they can't have cameras in the courtroom, can you mm -hmm. imagine what they're going to do to Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson mm -hmm. and Lou Dobbs when they say, what mm -hmm. are some of, do you consider yourself a journalist? We're going to yeah. have to say yes. What are some of the responsibilities of the tenants around truth that mm -hmm. a journalist has? Okay, now let me read you some of your emails. <laughs> right. They are going to. They're tough trials. The New York Times had one with Sarah Palin, even though they uh, they did prevail on that. They, they had a lot of stuff on their side and not this much proof. This was crazy. This is a crazy amount of proof that they did what. Dominion saying they did. I don't think Dominion wants to settle. That's my impression. I think the judge was just like, let's try. And Fox is probably screaming for it. And we'll see. They're not going to get what they want. They've misbehaved the whole time, including last week with this all this stuff. Well, I say they don't settle. What do you say? Money is powerful, right? And yeah. you have a company. I mean, this is the weird thing. So there's some veracity to the notion that a $1.6 billion fine or judgment would be a little bit extreme, given that the firm was seeking uh, financing at a $60 million valuation. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. News Corp does not want this to go to trial. They are yep. all wet. Every day, there's going to be a ton of media sketching, talking about the questions, right. and just how terrible this network and these anchors, their stars look. They might just say, they might bite the bullet and go, give them the $1.6 billion and let's call it a day. Yeah, they still need the apology. They're going to still demand the apologies. Well, they've already apologized. I don't think that- No, they're going to have to say it on the air. They're going to make them, they're going to make them say it very explicitly for a matter of time, I think. I really, I mean, all of us are really, are <laughs> praying this goes to trial. Anyway, we'll see. Speaking of a thing you got right, J.P. Morgan Chase reported first quarter earnings and they're beating expectations. The bank's revenue rose 25% to almost $40 billion and profit jumped 52%. The report also suggested net interest income will be slightly over $80 billion this year, beating previous forecasts by $7 billion. Shares of the bank were up almost 10% in the last five days. Scott, I seem to remember you making a prediction about this in March. Let's play it. Uh, J.P. Morgan's about to have their best quarter in history. The wave of capital that goes into J.P. Morgan and is going in. Just J.P. Morgan or Goldman or what? Oh, all of them will benefit, but no one's going to benefit like J.P. Morgan. Well done. Take a bow. That was an easy one. That was an easy one, Kara. Very smart. Well, there you are. Let's take a bow for Scott Galloway. There you go. Um, Jamie Dimon's really hitting on all cylinders. Be interesting to see if he next becomes like a Treasury Secretary or Fed Chairman. Or I, I would like to see him in government. I think he's, yeah, I think he's a great leader. And I think he's measured. Also, also, my limited experience with him, I think he's quite emp empathetic. And I think you want to talk about the difference between citizenship and these venture catastrophes. Yeah. Uh, four banks shored up and put deposits into yeah. First Republic because they see that there is a benefit to having a healthy banking system. Yeah. They did not. But he did, he did bear hug Adam Newman, as you know. Well, he was looking for fees. I mean, for remember, fees. I'm the guy who interviewed him on stage at the J.P. Morgan yeah. conference. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. But that, look, yeah, they're right. bankers. That's their job. I know. I get it. But he, I would love to see him in government. I think he's a really decent man. He's also very spicy. I've spent a lot of time with him. He's a very spicy. He likes to get into arguments, which is great. Um, anyway, he's, he's, he's very accessible in that regard. He doesn't mind mixing it up, as they say. Okay, let's get to our first big story. 
The man who allegedly murdered a Silicon Valley tech executive is in jail. Earlier this month, the founder of Cash App, Bob Lee, was stabbed to death on the streets of San Francisco. As the Bay Area mourned his death, some prominent tech personalities, most especially Elon Musk, were quick to blame the killing of the city's leadership. It supposedly lacks approach to crime. Among them, uh, Elon, as I said, Jason Calacanis, who posted an all-caps tweet accusing city officials of, quote, enabling rampant violence. Um, but there's one problem. On Thursday, police arrested a man they say killed Bob Lee. He wasn't an unhoused person suffering a mental episode. He was another tech consultant who knew Lee personally. Reports say that Lee and his accused killer, Nima Momeni, argued about Momeni's sister prior to Lee's death. Uh, our condolences to Bob Lee's friends and family. Unfortunately, the, the information had a great story. He's he's been caught up in this fight, you know, over this thing. He became a symbol of violence in San Francisco immediately. Everything about this is terrible. It seems to be a personal beef, what happened. It's shocking, nonetheless. But you don't want these pet theories to show up. He did the same thing around the Pelosi attack, all this violence towards people. They jumped to this, it's a crime, it's the homelessness, not it's not just waiting to find out. The tech guys trying to make San Francisco into a hellscape. It's got enough problems it is it is, including homelessness. And the mayor just got a federal court just said she couldn't clean up people off the streets, for example. So she's contending with legal issues, fentanyl crisis, all kinds of things. And this just added to the, the pile. I immediately went to the data. And the reality is the murder yep. rate for a city of 1 million people is not especially high or low for in San yep. Francisco. Having said yep. that, and, and your opinion matters more here than mine because you, you spend mm -hmm. a lot of time there. I, I live there. I've lived in L.A., San Francisco, Miami, New York, now London. Mm -hmm. San Francisco for me is a distant fifth. I, I've just, that's the only place I would not live again. Mm -hmm. And whenever I go back there, and I only go back about once or twice a year now, I am shocked at how many severely mentally ill people that is are on the street in front of a building where there are billionaires. And I find that mm -hmm. it's somewhat dystopic. Downtown. Yes, downtown. downtown. But if you look at the data. Yep. Look, let me read the data. Local police data recorded 56 homicides each in 2022 and 2021. And that's a rise of 36% over 2019. For comparison, Columbus, Ohio recorded 140 last year. That's quite a bit more. And Indianapolis recorded 226. Oh, St. Louis. <laughs> I know. And there's Duval County, Florida is apparently quite a dangerous place to be. But property crimes such as burglary and larceny are up, according to the San Francisco PD, but still below 2017 levels. Certain areas of the city, I'll, I'll speak to this, like uh, the Tenderloin, some parts of uh, Soma, some parts of Soma, not all, downtown, because nobody's downtown. It's a really a bad a bad situation. Every, you go to every city, uh, storefronts are closed, people aren't in offices, etc. Um, that's an issue. But my neighborhood has cleaned up a lot. Like, it's much better since the pandemic. And the area where he was killed, when that happened, if you remember me saying to you, there's no way this was a just that I know this neighborhood. It's not a dangerous neighborhood. It's, it's a desolate neighborhood. Um, but I always felt it was like somebody knew, like, because it was such a, it wasn't where you would imagine you'd run into something like that in any way. You know, we were talking about reading this David Sachs, what he said on his All In podcast, where he blamed it. And he said, he, he'd, uh, I'm not going to play it because I don't want to listen to him blather on inaccurately. He said it was a, a psychotic homeless, possibly a psychotic homeless person, which is, and then he used it to attack the city, because a lot of them want to run for office. They want to run the city, essentially. So I find it incredibly sad that they continue to do this around attacks, like the Paul Pelosi one. It's just heinous to do things like this, or especially around someone uh, someone who died or was hurt, either way. 
Yeah, the the politicization of everything is obviously discouraging because at the end of the day, I mean, the thing that's rattling here is a a young, you know, someone's son was wandering around mm-hmm. bleeding. To he death. wasn't. He wasn't wandering around. He was. He went. This guy took him where he murdered him. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, but wasn't he looking for help after he'd been stabbed? He was, yes. But it, this is a very empty part of the city. I can't, I, I don't know how to describe my, it. My either. first thought when I heard about this was, I was just really sad for the guy and that his life, you know, is being politicized, or his death, I should say, is being politicized. That's kind of sad mm-hmm. on its own. But my first thought was, the tech community is much more dangerous than the San Francisco community. These guys want to talk about that. The tech, the tech community in this 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 belief that they're saviors and shouldn't be subject to regulation and their mm-hmm. success at avoiding all regulation has resulted in a lot of unnecessary death of, of kids and children and tremendous damage to the Commonwealth. It's the tech community that's the menace, not San Francisco. And of course, they were immediately going, well, not in this, after doing that, and take, same thing with S, SVB, after doing very irresponsible things, they're like, see what we did made a difference. And here they're like, see what we pointed out made a difference. I'm like, all you did was take a guy's death and use it for your own selfish purposes for and just to scream you know Elon Musk is the worst of them but um you know there's there's definitely um there was a really interesting story at the same time in um I think it was the times uh yeah Aaron Griffith did it uh, about alleged fraud in Silicon Valley uh Charlie Jevis at Frank was arrested last week speaking of JP Morgan on charges of falsifying data Founders of Slink Software was arrested last month, charged with defrauding investors or upcoming fraud trials of the co-founder of Headspin. Carlos Watson of Ozzy Media was arrested on fraud charges. Elizabeth Holmes is headed to provision. Of course, Sam Bankman-Fried. There's a lot of people, you know, this this dishonesty going on, but it's also compounded by these people on the top just deciding to be trolls in a way that's really disturbing. Yeah, it's not. You get to this certain level of influence. And again, it's more, uh, let's shit post our local government. Let's shit post our state government. Let's not offer any solutions. It just, let's shit post our government making up stories about what yeah, could and then, or could not be true. And then in our notes, you have the the actual text of this person's statements. And I apologize, I got to read it. Uh, we don't know what happened yet, but I think we I think we suspect, and I would bet dollars to dimes that this story very similar to the case we had in L.A. recently, where a young woman was basically stabbed for no reason by a psychotic homeless person who had been through a revolving door of jail and criminal justice system, who should have been locked up, who was arrested multiple times, but not kept locked up because of this push for decarceration. Push for decarceration. We have more people locked up in this nation I know. than I think the other 10 nations, biggest nations combined. We absolutely need a prison yeah. release program in this nation. Mm-hmm. But And then to use terms like psychotic and homeless. And by the way, this was not a psychotic homeless person. This was an acquaintance. This is, yeah. So it's, this was it's, an acquaintance, yeah. it's again, it's just not... And then this is the last thing. So they are setting loose uh, on us a predatory criminal or psychotic element that jeopardizes our safety and makes these cities unlivable. They, meaning the tech community? No, the the tech community is setting loose. I mean, no, government, the government. I know, but that's that's, that's my point. The tech community is a much bigger threat to our society right now. But on the whole, if you look at crime in America over any extended period period of time, it's been going down. Yeah. There's no solutions. That's what it is. It's never about solutions. It's all about accusations. Oh, it's, it's, about, the same. it's about recall Democrats and put libertarian mm-hmm. weirdos, i.e. me, in office. Yeah. And do nothing about it. And and then be authoritarian. Like the fact that that Musk is um, 
doing this. And at the same time, Russia just convicted someone 25 years for dissent. They don't care about that. They don't care about They don't attack Russia for that. In any case, it wasn't a psychotic homeless person, all you bros who did this. We look forward to all your next monologues about cracking down on the culture of tech entrepreneurs who don't think the rules apply to them. That's what we need to crack down on. Anyway, Scott, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, a popular app is in the news for national security risk, but it's not the one you think. And we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Kate Crawford, about the planetary cost of artificial intelligence. You'll enjoy that conversation. Hmm. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. One of our customers who produces pizza at a very large scale all across the world. Believe it or not, they use AI to review the quality of the pizzas that are created. That goes through a workflow that scans the images of the pizzas and makes sure they visually look like what they should. So it's pretty cool. That's Sharif Mansour, Atlassian's head of AI. Sharif thinks there's a lot for companies to be excited about on the AI-generated horizon, spanning everything from making pizza to producing podcasts like the one you're listening to now. There'll be far more jobs created on the other side of this revolution. Instead of a world of less, Sharif envisions an AI-powered world of more. In everyone's day job, they're moving from doing the thing to often being an architect of the thing. It unleashes the potential of every human. And I think we can go from a world where few people have access to a high level of intelligence to a lot more people having access to this information. AI is really giving everyone on the planet more resources to do great things. And I'm very optimistic about that opportunity that lies ahead. Transform teamwork with the power of AI-human collaboration. Start using Atlassian intelligence for your Atlassian products like Jira and Confluence now. Learn more at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N dot com. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Scott, we're back. The U.S. national security state is in disarray. They're not like sneaking around, in fact, over Discord. Last week, the FBI arrested 21-year-old Air National Guard Jack Tashira hmm. uh, on charges of unlawfully copying and possessing classified defense records. Authorities said, uh, said Tashira uploaded the documents to the app Discord, where he ch- uh, shared them in a private chat room that you can have there that included about 20 people, many of them young men. The online group shared an interest in guns, video games, and frequently posted race 
racist and anti-Semitic memes. The documents provide some insight into the war in Ukraine, although they don't know which ones are real or not, including a bleak assessment of Ukraine's upcoming spring offensive. There are also some reveals around the U.S.'s ability to spy on Russia. Apparently, we're good at it. And evidence that U.S. is spying on its allies, not a surprise, of course, but embarrassing. I'd love you to comment on these document leaks. Other leakers like Chelsea Manning, Edward Snowden, and Reality Winner leaked to journalists and wanted their leaks to have large social impact. This leaker seemed to have clout with teens. He wanted to impress teens and school them. So talk to me about this, because there's a whole young men thing in here. There's a whole security thing in here. I found this really upsetting, and I think it calls on a number of issues. The first is obviously in the short term, they're going to have to review the protocols around who has access to classified documents. 1.2 million people in our government have access to classified documents. And it's actually been expanded since 9-11 because they found some of the red flags that were ignored around 9-11 were because interagency shareability wasn't happening. So they mm-hmm. actually actually lowered and loosened the requirements for who has access to classified information. But I'm sure they'll address that sooner rather than later. The, the the issues that it really brings up, I think, that are more interesting is one, again, if you look at the pharmaceutical industry worth a couple trillion dollars mm-hmm. and has a big impact on our society, massive regulation, hundreds of millions of dollars to get through FDA hurdles to get anything on the shelves. If you look at the restaurant industry, once we have 20 locations, you have to have the you have to disclose the number of calories. If you want to put out a product, uh, any sort of consumer product, it has to go through testing. If you want to launch a car, you have to have all sorts of emission standards, airbags. The industry that is worth more and has more influence than any of these industries has absolutely no regulation or guardrails. Mm -hmm. And the question I would put forward is similar to uh, sex trafficking. If we had a carve out from 230 on national security, I would bet, I would speculate that organizations and platforms, including Discord, could use an LLM, a large language model, to recognize this type of data and before it gets forwarded or out of control, move in and flag it for human review. But because there is no need, there is no incentive. It costs too much. The zero zero to land speed record of young, dumb men getting in trouble and causing huge damage has never been greater. We have given every kid in this nation a car that no longer goes 60 miles an hour, but goes 600 and said, no airbags, have at it. Mm -hmm. And it also goes to a larger issue. And that is younger people have less opportunity uh, to, to get together with people offline. In general, the offline analog to anything online is much safer much better, much more empathetic, much Mm -hmm. more loving. These kids were into Christianity and they were into guns. Mm -hmm. If they had been at a gun range, and started yelling out anti-Semitic tropes, someone at the gun range would have said, cut that shit out, and this is why you don't say that shit. If they had been at church, in a church Mm -hmm. group, and laid out on the table, hey, I have information about Ukrainian, the Ukrainian war effort, someone in that church would have said, this is dangerous, come here, speak to me. But what you have online is absolutely Mm -hmm. no guardrails. So you take every terrible impulse, poor judgment that young men especially demonstrate in spades, and it goes from zero to really fucking awful faster than ever before. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about some the Edward Snowden stuff, the reality winner stuff, uh, Chelsea Manning, some of it, you know, they the government was saying they were not doing things that they were doing. I've 
I don't know what they could have done otherwise in many ways, um, except become what is considered traitorous. At the same time, this seemed to be do- done for just social uh, status. Social status. And you're just like, what? Like, and also, what happened to you that you, this is how you are? Like, this is what you think about the government. It's like you're too much, too many online conspiracy tropes, but it's sort of like, wow, you were in a position of authority of some point, and this is what you do with it. You know, this is this is your thing just to impress 15 teenagers and have status among them. If you read some of the articles, the Washington Post had one of someone in that group, a young guy, and his quotes were heartbreaking. Like, yeah. he was cool. He was tough. He was yeah. our guy. And I was like, oh, my God, your life is so small on your little online but service. It's, it's getting smaller right. and smaller because, yep. you know, a, a lack of male role models, lack of offline socialization, lack mm-hmm. of potential for romantic interests all yeah. of these things are guardrails. All of these things, when you're in person with people, whether it's a Boy Scout troop, whether it's an after-school program, whether it's a, 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 yeah. a male, a man who takes an interest in your life, whether it's the prospect of a romantic relationship, all yeah. of these things serve as guardrails where you start behaving in a more societally yeah, accepted way. I would agree. And when you go online and can begin clotting with other extremists from around the world, and there's no mm-hmm. safeguards. There's no- I agree. Snowden and Assange, that was different. They saw themselves mm-hmm. as people who were deeply disturbed by what the state was doing, took a risk. I think they knew they were taking a, taking a risk. This mm-hmm. is a kid who made a series of terrible decisions, and he's probably, Kara, yeah. going to be in a basement cell in a max, super max federal prison for the rest of his life. He may never No, see- not the rest of his life. Apparently, it's not. It, it is a long time. It's, this is the end of his adulthood, really. You know, his in life some is ways. Ruined. Yeah, his life is ruined. His life um, is ruined. Although he's become a right wing, look, Marjorie Taylor Greene thought he was a hero for doing this. I, I don't. I, the thing is, you don't know what's real and what's not mixed in there. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like who knows? He was copying some things down. Mm-hmm. I, it's just like, oh god, this just makes it even more confusing. One interesting detail in the documents: the U.S. Uh, there was a, a U.S. intelligence assessment that repeated an internal claim from the Russian government that says social media platforms catch less than 1% of fake Russian accounts if the claim is true. And who knows? It comes from Russia. Who knows? They're probably bragging on things. It's a pretty damning indictment of Meta's efforts to combat, combat disinformation. It also reflect poorly on Twitter's mass layoffs. Who's to say? Like, who's to say, right? In that area. And then in the other area is this, the names, this right-wing hate group kind of mentality. The group was called Thug Shaker Central. It's a racist anti-gay joke about a gay porn thing, I think, I believe, mm-hmm. where the documents shared they, it was called Bear versus Pig for a Russian slur about Ukrainian people. You know, that was also disturbing, sort of uh, this guy's in the military. And I'm not surprised necessarily. Uh, There's a survey that found more than one-third of all active-duty troops reported witnessing white nationalism or racism within the ranks. This is not a surprise either. But it's just sort of this attitude towards our country that's just so... I don't expect you to be rah-rah patriotic. I'm not. But it's this idea of Armageddon almost, right? Like what anything goes. And again, it's, it's linked to that stuff we were talking about earlier. It's a lack of respect for institutions. It's a lack of appreciation for shared stories. And quite frankly, the liberal press is guilty of some of the reason why people don't feel Mm -hmm. as good about America as they should. And these young people, they don't have the same economic prospects that my generation had. They don't have the same opportunities Mm -hmm. for socialization. And so they find each other. They engage in extremist content. And it just sort of the zero to 60 from bad impulses and poor judgment to something really damaging 
is just much more fluid online. And look at, yeah. you make bad judgments on alcohol, so look at the guardrails we put in there. You're not supposed to drink under the Cigarettes. age of 21. Cigarettes. Cigarettes, adult content. I mean, we age gate mm -hmm. the military. We, we, we have all sorts of guardrails. I mean, I, I know this sounds stupid. You know what I think would have saved this? If this kid had had a mm -hmm. girlfriend. Yeah, and maybe. where do where do twenty one year olds? I gotta say, both my sons are nicer with their girlfriends. I love having them having girlfriends. You know what? They get their better. shit together. The prospect for yep. companionship and, quite frankly, sex makes men behave much better. Mm -hmm. And also, a woman who tends to be a little bit more thoughtful and more engaged in slow thinking says, "Should you really be copying confidential national security documents and putting them yeah. on Discord?" You know, it's mm -hmm. just. But these kids have no opportunities, or fewer and fewer opportunities, to build mm -hmm. offline relationships with each other. Yep. And yep. We, we're mammals. We're meant to be. We're meant to be in each other's presence. And the, you know, you just if you have sons and you think mm -hmm. about, it, you see firsthand what fucking idiots they can be because of mm -hmm. they. You're literally your role as a father and as a mother is to be their prefrontal cortex. Yeah. And the problem is every piece of bad judgment can take a you know can take a firecracker and turn it into a fucking nuclear bomb online. Right? Agree. It can go agree. to millions of people. It can do tremendous damage. And not only that, when they when they say these things, if they said these things in a group of people, of normal people in the community, Agreed. someone in the community would intervene and go, no, this is wrong. And this is why it's yeah. wrong. And this is why I'm going to get involved in your life. And this is mm -hmm. but online, it's like, well, let's find all the other crazies. Yeah, there are some great places online to find community. There really are, but this is just so toxic. You know, it's going to get worse. So we need to talk to our friend of Pivot. Kate Crawford is a principal researcher at Microsoft Research Labs, a research professor at USC Annenberg and author of Atlas of AI, Power Politics and the Planetary Costs of Artificial Intelligence. Welcome, Kate Crawford. You and I have talked many times. Mm -hmm. uh, let's start like some basics. Everyone's familiar with generative AI like ChatGPT, but help bring us back to the basics. How do you define artificial intelligence? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a common misperception with AI that it's, you know, this set of mathematical or sometimes magical functions in the cloud. But mm -hmm. actually, these are profoundly material systems that have very real impacts. They use lots of human labor, lots of natural resources like energy and water, mm -hmm. and of course, a gigantic amount of data. Mm -hmm. So part of what I think is really useful with understanding AI is really breaking it down into its component elements, really demystifying it mm -hmm. and moving away from the kind of superintelligence hype that's happening at the moment to really say, you know, these are socio-technical systems. People build them. They build them on all of these resources. Let's look at how they work. And I think that's a really good way to start to unpack a lot of the kind of gloss that gets attached to this term AI. Mm -hmm. All right. So explain. There's, there's, it's. It, 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 you can call it big data, machine learning, cloud computing, um, and, and now a generative uh, AI. It, it, explain the differences for people. Um, and and now that we're finally talking only about something like ChatGPT, what it means for the field. Hmm. Well, there's a really long history here. We could go back to the Dartmouth conference in the late 1950s. Mm -hmm. We could look at the first phases of AI that were really focused on expert systems that were about modeling human understanding. So you would literally mm -hmm. try to teach a computer linguistic principles. You know, this mm -hmm. is how language works. Right, sure. But 
we start to see this really big shift that happens in the 1970s and 80s that takes off with the popularization of the internet, which is this idea of really just probabilistic modeling. So effectively mm-hmm. trying to guess the next word in a sentence, you know, doing this type of mode of brute force AI, which is mm-hmm. much closer to what we're seeing with things like GPT. So we could get super technical about how generative AI works, but the important thing to understand is that these are essentially gigantic probabilistic models. They don't mm-hmm. understand language. They're much more interested in predicting things, predicting the next word in a sentence, predicting mm-hmm. the type of image that you might be requesting. Mm-hmm. And it's not coming from a basis of understanding all language or understanding right. all our Or history. the intelligence of humans. It's a very different form of interpretive ability. I think even the word intelligence can actually mm-hmm. be a bit of a trap here. I mean, intelligence has its own gnarly history as a term, and I think it can become a real cul-de-sac where people try to anthropomorphize these systems when actually they are very large statistical analysis at scale. Yeah, I always say it's not real. They're not real people. I, I, I say uh-huh. like, I don't know what, what regular people are getting that idea. So is ChatGPT a radical technological advance from your perspective? You know, that's a really good question because the idea behind ChatGPT has actually been around for decades. I mean, mm-hmm. we could go back to Joseph Weizenbaum, who created Eliza, you know, mm-hmm. in the 1960s at MIT, which is essentially mm-hmm. a chatbot that just used simple scripts and mm-hmm. was designed as a therapist that would basically ask your questions back to you. And Weizenbaum wrote at the time that he was shocked how easily people were taken in by this. He said it was basically creating delusional thinking and quite normal people. And mm-hmm. like, why would people believe this? And, and what we have now is decades later, a huge shift in computational scale, a huge shift in available data, which mm-hmm. means much better modeling of speech, much better modeling of ideas, information, things that these systems are trained on. And they are trained on truly, I mean, we're talking about data sets the size of the internet itself. Mm-hmm. So think about putting that in a blender and you're really getting an idea of, you know, how much data these things are working with, with the foundational mm-hmm. model. So perhaps what's new here is not so much the idea, but the difference that scale can make. I'm curious what you think of this AI pause movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is a very big deal in the AI world. Like, so basically mm-hmm. over a thousand scholars and business leaders signed the letter that said, pause for six months. Mm-hmm. I didn't sign it. And here's why. It's, it's really framed in this kind of apocalyptic tone. Essentially, mm-hmm. it, it talks about this idea of, you know, incredibly powerful digital minds ending human civilization and, mm-hmm. I think this is a massive distraction from what we really need right now, which is how do we actually regulate these systems? What Mm. impacts are they going to have right now on things like misinformation and security? So I think in some ways it's sort of drawing us away from the bigger issues that are underlying these questions. I also noticed that uh, Elon Musk was one of the first people to sign, you know, asking for a pause. And he just said it in an interview, it's going to kill us all. It has the potential of civilizational destruction. And then two weeks later, he announces that he's training his own AI model called X. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, yeah, this seems to be, yeah. That doesn't surprise Scott or I, but go no. ahead. No, it does, it, it's, it's not surprising, but I think it points to some mixed motivations about why people are signing that letter. But if there's something really useful here, it's that 
there are concerns. And, and I think you'll see several more letters start to circulate before the end of the year from different types of communities. Just as a follow-up, it feels as if we'd be smart to get out, at least not ahead of it, but develop some sort of regulatory oversight and not make the same original sin of the internet and have no regulation. Is there a model we can look at in terms of an industry for, uh, let's say, okay, we're charged with establishing some sort of regulatory oversight that lets a thousand acorns bloom and keeps our lead in this and creates economic growth. And I'm actually excited about this technology. I think it could be an unbelievable unlock across healthcare, uh, medical research, you know, you name it. What what could we do to ensure that we don't make this, the mistakes of the past with other emerging technologies? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I mean, you're pointing to exactly this issue of balance. You know, how do we ensure that those benefits are possible with the types of guardrails that we need? And there's different theories that have been circulating around, but one of the core things, America still doesn't have basic comprehensive federal data protection laws, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So we can think about the GDPR in Europe. You know, that would allow us to have much more control over how our data is being used to train these models. So there's a proposed American Data Privacy and Protection Act, the ADPER. I think that's definitely a step in the mm -hmm. right direction. But, you know, I wonder if we need something a little more urgent. And, and for example, the White House has had a domestic policy council for decades that kind of coordinates policy across diverse mm -hmm. and, you know, different sorts of areas, including criminal justice, healthcare, education. You could imagine something like an AI policy council that would right. go across these domains. It can't be called an information council, though, because look what happened there, right? Well, exactly, right? We know how that goes. But you, you could think about what's happening with AI in the Department of Education, in transportation, in labor, in the SEC, in the FTC. Like you've got, you've got all of these different agencies and groups seeing different parts of the elephant. So how do we quickly harmonize a sort of a policy vision? across all of those components. And I think, honestly, trying to do this quickly is is one of the most important things right now. Now, the EU is streets ahead. They've got their AI Act, which should be becoming law essentially by the end of this year. Mm -hmm. But even there, they started framing that, you know, three years ago plus, and right. they're now racing to catch the generative AI framework. So they've which, been at it. We, we tend yeah. not to do anything because, you know, <laughs> let's talk about who benefits from the efforts because one of the issues I keep focused, I, I said, let's stop talking about student term papers and it killing us because really that's not a concern. Either of them is not the biggest concern we have, but who controls and owns it? Who benefits are these private, large private companies, which I do agree with Elon on, and although he wants to be one of them. I, I don't want to be in his camp because I think he's just Maddie's behind and they didn't want to do what he wanted to do. How do you share them across society? Because this is really, again, our information, right? It's ours that these private companies are using to benefit themselves and then vomit it back up at us in, in some fashion. And then if you could talk, you just mentioned environmental impacts, um, add that in because then we'll pay for that too, if there mm. are impacts, not them. Well, this is one of the the questions that the research field has really been pointing to for years, which is concentration of power. Mm -hmm. So you could go back to the first dot-com boom and you could look about how many players were there and kind of, you know, mm -hmm. making money from pets.com or whatever it might be. And then you start to see that number start to shrink. And you could think about sort of the big data moment, the deep learning moment. We really start to see fewer and fewer companies who are really at the forefront. And now we are looking at one of the most concentrated industries in terms of who can do 
generative AI at scale. Now, the interesting counterpoint to this is the number of open source models that are mm-hmm. starting to be released. And, yeah. and that, you know, we can, we can raise questions there too around, okay, if it costs so much in terms of energy, in terms of human labor to try and make these things work and to build in some guardrails, and that happens, you know, at multiple layers in these technical models, are people going to be able to do that in the open source models? And what is mm-hmm. that going to do to these broader public harms and risks that many mm-hmm. of us have been flagging. So I think in the end, you're looking at the moment at a kind of an interesting turn, which is, are we going to see the gains just go to the same big tech players? And of course, Microsoft, Google, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Adobe's just released a model. I mean, it, it, it really is the kind of, you know, same all of the big players are in this now. This is, mm-hmm. this is everybody is playing this game to win. But then you've got this open source question. And so, again, we've seen this play out historically before, but I do think that if we start to see these models being able to be trained with less data and with less energy, which is Mm -hmm. key, then it opens up some more space. For everybody, for innovative young companies. That's right. What are you most excited about? Where do you think the, just talking about trying to be a little bit glass half full here, where do you think the most... A disruptive change for good lies in terms of this new technology? Hmm. Well, the things that, I mean, I'm going to speak personally here, the things that I use these sorts of large language and large multimodal models for is like summarization. Mm-hmm. Extremely good at, you know, give it a long document, get a really concise answer. Coding, you know, I haven't had to code for years. Takes me all the way back to, you know, when I was learning this stuff in my late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. I can you know, really what what is amazing is that the hot programming language in 2023 is English. You can literally just write the program that you would like to produce and you'll get that. That is exciting to me. I think mm-hmm. that actually sort of like spreadsheets. It's like spreadsheets. Right. Like who, exactly. do, who uses an abacus anymore except for Scott? Well, they're, they're, you know, they're kind of cool. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think in some ways, I think it's more transformative than a spreadsheet. I think you really mm-hmm. have to to think about some of the biggest technological changes that we've experienced. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people compare this to, say, the iPhone or, you know, the internet. I tend to go further back. I kind of think about this in relation to, say, the creation of artificial perspective in the 1400s. It, it literally changed how we represented the world. And that's mm-hmm. why I think these these models are so powerful. Mm-hmm. And Scott, you know, there's some big upsides there, but there's also some very big social questions that we have to get ahead of because Mm -hmm. if they just get released and they just go and do their thing, we know that a whole lot of problems can emerge. So this is why Mm -hmm. research and guardrails are so important. 10 years from now, if you had to make a prediction for AI, where it is, besides killing us all, apparently. Cara, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's been such a hectic year. I mean, I don't know how much sleep you guys are getting, but we've, mm-hmm. I mean, I've just never seen New anything. AI people must be crazy. It's, this is your year. I've never seen anything this fast. I've been in this field for almost two decades. This is unlike anything else. I think it's really difficult to make a 10-year prediction, but I do think that the things that keep me up at night are not, you know, machines that are going to run the world. It's going to be people who haven't done enough of the of the work to actually think about the really complex social interactions that are going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, that are already happening with these systems. Here's what I'm scared of. The people who run the machines 
<laughs> keep me up at night. If you're somebody who wants to get, say, from A to, you'll never get to Z, but wants to get some elemental or some basic foundational knowledge of AI, what LLMs would you suggest experimenting with? How do you get to not, not letter Z, but letter D or E quickly? Mm. Well, I'm a big fan of experimentation. Mm -hmm. So there's different types of models out there. As we know, there are ungrounded ones that just will give you answers and you won't know where the source comes from. There are so-called grounded models that are connected to search results uh, that will give you a different kind of set of answers. But honestly, one of the things that I'm really excited about is how do we put this in this broader social and cultural context? And mm -hmm. that means you need to read further afield. That's that's part of kind of what we're doing with our Knowing Machines Research Project is really trying to show people, okay, let's think about how you might actually interact with a model yourself. How do you mm -hmm. start to look at training data and understand how it maps the world? And then how might you start to think about how you'd use these systems differently? In some ways, I think we need this kind of rapid increase in literacy. And it's not just going to be about focusing narrowly on the tech. It's going to be looking at what does this do to the public sphere? What does it do to the media? What does it do to mm -hmm. democracy? Right. That's the piece we need to be thinking about. Yeah, I, I yeah. try and use it every day. And I, I just think it's fascinating. And I'm, I'm a big believer that it's not, AI is not going to take your job. Someone who understands AI is going to take your job. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think my advice to any young person would be is, Kate is suggesting experiment with this and get good at it. It's a weapon. You want to mm -hmm. be trained in it. 100%. It is like using the internet in the early days. Anyway, the Atlas of AI is available everywhere. And Kate is on Twitter and Mastodon. Thank you, Kate Crawford. It's great to see you both. Thanks, Kate. Yeah, that was really interesting. The one thing I thought most interesting was coding. Like you say, I want a program that does this and it does it for you. Like you don't need to, just like you don't need to fix you know, there's a lot of things you don't need to do anymore that you used to, you know, basic research, the, the internet help, for example. That's really interesting that you could code without learning to code. Why bother? Because it does it for you. Anyway, just thought that was interesting. Not sure if you want to code with me, Scott, but in any case. I'll melt with you, but I won't code with you. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, 
Hiddenlayer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hiddenlayer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hiddenlayer. Visit hiddenlayer.com slash pivot to learn more about Hiddenlayer's AI detection and response solution. Okay, Scott, let's do some wins and fails. I'm going to start with a fail. Russian journalist Vladimir Akaramirza was convicted and sentenced to 25 years on charges of treason after he criticized the war in Ukraine. He's in jail, obviously, for political views. He's very sick. He was poisoned, too. Hmm. It's depressing, the whole thing. And, of course, American journalist Evan Gersovich uh, remains in jail in Russia. The U.S. ambassador to Russia finally visited him, um, but also in potentially trouble to get the same kind of sentence for treason. What kills me is all these people talking about free speech in this country and then giving an easy time to Russia. These people, it's sort of like the people who maybe on the left who are censorious and then the people who actually pass terrible laws around gays and trans or whatever they happen to, or abortion. Mm-hmm. That's, we need to focus on Russia, like what they're hmm. doing here. And they are th- they are the wor- the global thugs of this world, I think, and getting closer and closer to China. I, I can't believe what these families are going through with their relatives just convicted in a kangaroo court. Um, you know, at least we have courts that are, have problems, but they're not kangaroo courts. Uh, in any case, uh, that is my that is my fail. That is my fail. All right. Any wins? Oh, happy birthday, Alex. That's and nice. Louis's birthday is coming up soon. Uh, they're really wonderful kids, as I've always said. Yep. And so Louis going to be 21. And Alex is eighteen, so I—they're uh, on their own now. They're on their—they're <laughs> on their own. They're Good boys. They'll so be home. Good luck, me. boys. Enjoy. I've yeah. done all that I can for you. Yeah. Anyway, my win and fail both fall under the same kind of umbrella, and that is, mm-hmm. if you have high blood pressure, you just become much more vulnerable to a series of health uh, mm-hmm. outcomes. If you're pre-diabetic, I mean, there's just certain things. Uh, Absolutely. If, if your body mass index is over a certain a certain level, you're just prone to all sorts of bad health outcomes. And I think there's some things in our nation that are basically high blood pressure. And unless we address them, we're just going to have a series of bad outcomes. We can never be truly healthy. And I think that uh, reinvesting in young people and giving them opportunities to be more economically and emotionally viable, especially young men, is a huge issue. I think um, some sort of common sense gun regulation but far and away, the number one for me, and I, it's become a litmus test for who I'm going to mm-hmm. vote for and who I'm going to give money to, is until we restore something resembling modern progressive rights for 51% of our nation, specifically a woman's right to choose, mm-hmm. I just think we're going to have terrible outcomes everywhere. I, I, I just can't see how we move forward and claim to be a progressive, empathetic nation uh, when we are rolling back women's rights. It is yep. so counter to every modern, thoughtful societal movement around the world, whether it's Ireland, whether it's Mexico. It's just, it's so incredibly discouraging. And we have always held onto this cold comfort that it couldn't happen here, and it is happening. Mm -hmm. And so my fail is in Florida, my state where I'm a resident, just passed an incredibly, where the governor just uh, signed a very restrictive abortion law with very few exceptions. It's a bill banning abortions after six weeks. Both my children Mm-hmm. We didn't know we were pregnant until after six weeks. That is correct. And, Me either. And not only that, I mean, as if to say, you know, and a big fuck you to women, if if the exception of rape or incest, 
you have to show a police report. Documents, yeah. <laughs> to, to prove incest. Um, and in the case of the life of the mother, two doctors, two doctors must sign off on an abortion. And Florida is a wonderful, diverse state, huge state. And the fact that they've basically outlawed choice, it means to me that Florida is no longer part of a modern functioning democracy. And they did it under the dark of night. They didn't do That's it. Right. They did it 11 o'clock at night. He didn't do because he, he knows it's a losing issue in elections. Right. So he's trying uh -huh. to do it and then get credit among the people he needs to please and yet not let everybody else know. But I, we're not we're going to yeah. hang this around his neck. And 100 percent. And I believe I believe it was a stupid move for him. And granted, I have some bias here. But the reality is one of the best examples of minority rule is that the majority, vast majority of Americans believe in a woman's right to choice. And the Gun nation control, is headed the other way. It is the best example of minority rule in our nation, maybe with the exception of, yeah. of assault weapons. And then my win is on the same subject. It is now a litmus test for me. Janet Protasewicz, I think is her name, was elected to the Wisconsin Supreme Court and flipped it to a more progressive body. And it was basically Wisconsin voters, and there's more Republicans outnumber Democrats here, which is a, a tell for how America feels about this. It was really about choice and a little mm -hmm. bit about gerrymandering. But America has said, how can we pretend to be an economically viable? I mean, this not only goes to just basic human rights, it goes, mm -hmm. to, it goes to our economy. It goes to our ability to have uh, functioning households. It goes to our ability to have kids who are, are raised in loving, sec economically secure households. And I'd like to think, and my win here is that Wisconsin, which is sort of a purple, slightly reddish hue, has mm -hmm. said, okay, this is just this is just out of control. She won by a lot. She won by a lot too. It wasn't a little. It wasn't a squeaker. No, it, this really is. And I'm hoping young people. I'm hoping this represents a bottom on this, and that uh, and that the demo and democracy is going to kick in here, and then more. I don't know, Scott. They're relentless. These people are relentless. Well, but but we have justice and righteousness on our side, Kara, and. And I do think that America gets it right over the long term. These people are fucking relentless and they'll stoop to no, they'll stoop to every low possible. But go ahead. Sorry. I think they're relentless. Yeah, but I have a lot of faith in our system, not over the short term, but over the medium and the long term. And okay. I do think that this is, I, I think people are waking up to the fact that, that, that our fears are being realized. And again, mm -hmm. we, we're all sort of took this cold comfort that, oh, it couldn't happen. I even think a lot of Republicans weren't expecting it to go this far. And I think yeah. they, I'd like to think Florida is a terrible example of where it can go, but Wisconsin hopefully represents a turning point. Mm -hmm. And anyways, my, my win is that essentially the voters of Wisconsin have decided to ideologically flip their Supreme Court because they have, they are, in my opinion, concerned and worried about the constant, we're the only nation, I think we're the only nation in the world that hasn't been taken over by religious fanatics where rights are being taken away. You just, mm -hmm. that's never happened in the history of America. No, We've always granted rights to people, additional that's rights correct. to people. So anyways, my, my fail is what is an incredibly restrictive, primitive, um, just no way around it, misogynistic uh, law uh, that's been passed in Florida, the great state of Florida, which is feeling less great today. And I'm hopeful around uh, the flipping uh, the, the election uh, of, of, um, of someone, of a Democrat to the Supreme Court in Wisconsin. Yeah, well, you know, you know who the only person who's saying this is a real loser for us 
is but Donald Trump. Trump. <laughs> he's the only yeah. Trump's the only one who gets it. Someone who's familiar with the topic. Allegedly. Uh, he's the only one, and the rest of them, it's it's like a suicide pact these people have. I don't even understand it, but they're relentless. They are just relentless, and now they've got a lot more allies like Musk and others who are just lying their way right to the top, which is really depressing to me. Anyway, uh, we'll see. That's, those are real, that's a really good one, Scott. I really appreciate that. Um, we want to hear from you. Send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. And don't forget, we were nominated for a Webby Award and we need you to vote for us at the link in the bio. We're losing. We're like in third right now. Okay, well, what are you going to do? Do I got to make my jokes dirtier? Is that what's going on here? Make your jokes dirtier. Jesus walks into a restaurant and says, I need a table for 26. And the waitress says, there's only 13 of you. And he said, yeah, but we all sit on the same side. Oh, that's my God, good, that's a it? terrible Jesus joke. You need to up your Jesus jokes. Oh, do you know what car he drives? Honda Accord. A Chrysler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Vote for us. Next time I'm in West Virginia, I'm going to do that one because they will, that would be, they would laugh at that mm, one. That's yeah. a good one. I like that. In yeah. any case, please vote for us. Okay, Scott, that's the show and Jesus jokes. We'll move back to dad jokes very soon, hopefully. Uh, we'll be back on Friday for more. Scott, read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Neiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Indratot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Neil Saverio. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business optionality. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here, Chances are your team is marching into the AI-generated horizon. Atlassian Intelligence is unleashing a new era of teamwork. You can use Atlassian's AI-powered products for everything from brainstorming ideas to finding information to summarizing huge documents, all by using normal, everyday language. Atlassian AI-powered software like Jira and Confluence help teams accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how you can transform teamwork with the power of AI at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian.